Welcome back to El Nino Speaks, everyone. This is Jose Nino here, and today I'm joined with U.S. Marine Corps veteran Josiah Lippincott. How are you today, man? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on, Jose. All right. Now, I first listened to you on Bronze Age Perverts Caridium Rhythms show, and I found your story to be quite fascinating. Could you tell my listeners more about yourself? Yeah, so I was um, a Marine Corps officer for four years after college. I served in the artillery. I deployed overseas to Okinawa for about seven months in 2019. And then I, I left the Marine Corps and then um, began a, a PhD program at Hillsdale College. My experience is, you know, was in a kind of post, in some ways, post-war um, on terror military, that transition away from... Uh, from our last two decades in the Middle East. And a lot of what I saw in my time became fuel to think more clearly about what kind of world order we're in, the spiritual consequences of um, you know, ideological liberalism in the military. And uh, I think in the course of trying to navigating for myself this environment, I, I kind of came to see there's some pretty serious problems in the modern American military. And uh, I've dedicated myself to trying to expose those problems and come up with solutions. And so part of that was on social media and I, and I managed to um, get some traction there and we can talk about that if you'd like, but um, eventually got pretty big and then was banned uh, unjustly. I mean, definitely. And uh, so it's kind of put a damper on getting my message out there, but um, you know, the focus is still there. Now in this so-called dissident right space, people generally have like an origin story where they were once like a normie conservative or libertarian, but then they like later change their political outlook. How did your political journey start out? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was um, and, and still am politically conservative. I grew up being really patriotic, loved America. My parents were, you know, standard Republicans. Uh, I was a standard Republican, I guess. But for me, I think the the combination of my education at Hillsdale and then the Trump era really clarified some pretty serious problems. You know, it's it's these guys like Mitt Romney and George Bush. It's very became very clear this leads absolutely nowhere. It leads to death, and so you know. It, Whatever you want to call the American right wing, I think it's it's important to just go back to, you know, re reality radicalized me, if you want to put it that way. I mean, just watching the collapse in real time. I grew up in California and you have skyrocketing crime, skyrocketing homelessness, uh, breakdown of community, the sense that you're just losing your country. Like, you know, that that to me was very striking. It just was Every time I go back home, I just see this is getting worse. And I'm, I'm feeling more and more alienated from the place where I grew up. And what's causing that? And I think getting clear on that and getting clear on that breakdown, that was very much a clarifying thing for me politically. Then, of course, Trump really brought all this out in the open. And I think it's, you know, nothing's been the same since since 2015. Now, you used to be very active on Twitter However, you were eventually unpersoned from the platform. And what prompted the Masters of the Universe at Twitter to kick you off the platform? Yeah, so it's, it'd probably be helpful to start with how I got 
big on Twitter. And that story goes back to, there was a general, um, Patrick Donahoe, who was the commanding officer of the Maneuver Warfare Center of Excellence at uh, Fort Benning, Georgia. And he was tweeting about COVID policy in the summer of 2021. And at the time, I, I actually tweeted at him once. And at the time I was on Twitter, I probably had about 150 followers. And I tweeted out this critique. I asked him about, you know, at the time, in the full year and a half that COVID had been, you know, going around, 26 service members allegedly had died of COVID. Well, in the fourth quarter of 2020 alone, the increase in suicides, not just all suicides, the increase was 26 across the DOD, which is to say that the spike in suicides was, you know, about four or five times higher than the number of, of troops who had died of COVID. And so I brought this up and kind of as a critique of COVID policy. Anyway, he responded to my comment and tried to get Hillsdale to, he tagged Hillsdale and told them to come get their boy. And then he um, said some other things to other people, uh, alleging that anyone who critiqued the American military's lack of success in Afghanistan, which is what we were watching at the time, was a, was a Russian bot. Well, that went totally viral. And um you know, in the span, I ended up on Laura Ingram's show, gained about 3,000 followers, and then was off to the races. And so I started just finding military officers on Twitter and high-ranking officers, war planners, people, you know, officers who wrote for major publications. And then I was pointing out a lot of the things that they were doing that just didn't, just that were just out of line. And, you know, I could give some examples if you'd like, but yeah, I mean, I caught one really good example is I caught a colonel in charge of the Fort Sill entry-level training for artillerymen was it was basically having a flirtatious relationship with a second lieutenant on Twitter. And that second lieutenant was married to an enlisted man, which is very uncommon and typically considered verboten. And so, you know, you've got you've got these officers engaging in just really conduct unbecoming, right? They're just violating rules. Obvious uh, uh, improper relationship, favoritism, the sort of things that to me were just completely out of line and undisciplined. Anyway, I did that for several months. And um, what happened was I had a group of military officers on Twitter, the, the mill Twitter community. And what they would do is they would brigade my account. So uh, there was one guy in particular who ended up doing some actually illegal things. But he, on Twitter, would brigade my account. And so you'd have hundreds of people mass reporting my tweets. And so if I used a metaphor that could in any way be construed, it's just like I would use a metaphor, I wouldn't think it, you know, and, it, and those, that, that would get me suspended or would have my account locked down. And so uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial as well, I, I tweeted out Kyle Rittenhouse did nothing wrong. I was permanently suspended. I wrote an article attacking Twitter, saying that they had, you know, had libeled Rittenhouse. They let me back on. A few weeks later, I tweeted about the Biden administration, making some observations about the administration and, and who the Democrats had selected for top roles. And um, that tweet thread ended up being the the final, basically my second permanent suspension. Basically, the point is, I was on Twitter. I was embarrassing the regime, and the response was an outright attack to try and get my account shut down. And, um, you know, there was officers leaked from my personnel file. I ended up filing an inspector's general complaint because, you know, stuff that was for official use only was being put out there by officers who viewed me as a threat. 
And, you know, I think it was completely unjust. You know, these people are in power. They're on social media. They're saying stuff. It's my right as an American citizen to criticize them. But then to see all these people in uniform or had been in uniform uh, and then, uh, you know, trying to work with big tech to get me silenced. And it worked. You know, censorship is the most powerful weapon that the regime has at its disposal. And it uses it. And I say regime intentionally. There is no difference between Twitter headquarters and the White House. They are the same entity. Yes. Absolutely. Unqualifiedly, they are the same entity. 100%. There's no distinction between the private and public sector. Right. That libertarian distinction, that's dead. That, that normie uh, conservative libertarian type of distinction has gone out the window now. Yeah. Yeah, it's just gone. Yeah, it is interesting how you see groups from like immigration patriots to people who will call out the regime's misguided foreign policy, deplatform from all manner of like these social media platforms. And it's just like a sign that if you actually start pointing out some of the uncomfortable truths of the managerial regime, that's sufficient grounds for you to get unpersoned. Right. No, they, they, you know, it, like I said, that's their most powerful weapon. They can control the narrative. And that's, uh, you know, that's that's not nothing. I mean, so I'm, I, you know, I'm in a limbo space because on the one hand, there are, you know, people actively try and hurt me personally if they could. I mean, especially the employers, they like putting pressure on your employer or uh, the people, you know, and, and people don't like the, the, the criticisms. It's, you know, it's an effective tactic. I think the right is just, it's very weak in this way. I mean, you put a little pressure on these people and they just want to fold. They don't like it. They don't like the pressure. And, you know, but I, you know, th these people, I mean, I think the, the, the older generation of conservatives, that 65 plus crowd, they just do not, they don't really understand what's coming down the pike. And, and honestly, they, they, many of them will probably, and this is dark, but probably die before it gets really bad. I mean, you know, this regime wants to survive. You know, it's delusional and crazy and they feel threatened. And that's why I think you see them just banning reams of people off the Internet. It's why you see them going after Trump so hard. The, this the national security apparatus is ready to fire up into high gear against American citizens. And it's waiting. It's really any moment. It's already doing it right now, but it, it wants to ramp it up to a new level of intensity. And that old boomer, I, you know, I, I support legal immigration, but not illegal immigration. You know, those kind of Talmudic distinctions, that, that's all going to die here in, in, in a very short amount of time. It won't have <laughs> any relevance to our lives. It'll be like, that was a failure. You know, we're going to just, the, the best we can hope for is staying out of the clutches of the FBI and the IRS. And that's not going to be easy. So, you know, I think that's, uh, that's going to be a lesson here for a lot of people. Maybe if they can learn. That's a, that's, that's a real question, though. Yeah, now going back to the military, one of the most uh, intriguing things that I was able to pick up on during your interview with Bronze Age Pervert were just like the uncomfortable truths you dropped about the dilapidated state of the military. This is like stuff the corporate media will never talk about for obvious reasons. So does the, in your experience, does the military try to do everything possible to hide its dirty laundry when it comes to like how degraded it has become? 
No, no. On the on the contrary, they want to celebrate that shit. I mean, that's the point. They they love to point out how woke they are, but everyone treats it like it's normal. That's the thing. They don't. They don't. I mean, the military especially is in a bubble, and they don't. I mean, if you're a military officer, like let's say you go to West Point and become a general in your career, you know, thirty years later. That means you've spent your entire adult life having never once had a civilian job. And you don't interact with a lot of people outside the military on a daily basis, a daily basis. So you don't get how how nutty nuts your world is. Mostly. Most most senior ranking officers don't do that. So they'll get up there and say all kinds of crazy stuff. And they'll do it in public without a second thought. But what happens is it's self-contained within that liberal military sphere. And so ordinary Americans don't pay attention. And they don't, the, the media doesn't amplify it. So all I did on Twitter mostly was just retweet people and quote tweet them. And this caused, I had this woman accuse me of misogyny for retweeting a tweet by this woman who was, just, I was just like, this woman is in a relationship with an enlisted guy. How does that work? Commissioned officers <laughs> not allowed to sleep with the enlisted. So just it riddle me that one, Batman. And it was like, and I tagged the command in, like, you tell me what's going on here. So when it was in the mill Twitter sphere, no one had a problem with it because no one gives, no one cares about how effective we are, right? They don't care, don't care Th- that we're losing wars doesn't register. There's a rationalization hamster pl- slash ten thousand word explanation to justify every failure of the in- of the establishment. So when I would go in there as someone with military experience, I knew exactly where to look. I'd been following these people and I knew a lot of these rules and that culture because I'd lived it. And I would just go in there and, and just point out the problems. And I think the minute that hit, you know, the, the normie world or the, the, you know, just ordinary people who wouldn't normally pay attention to this stuff, I think it was immediately clear this is a huge problem. And the consequences of that sort of amplification in the, in the, onto the right is is devastating because you know again a lot of the older americans a lot of people they just live in this world where the military is conservative i fly the flag i love my country and they're and i think and, and i can't in a way those people are the backbone of america they still believe they still love their country and they want to believe that it's doing the right thing and what i was pointing out is no the people who have hijacked these institutions hate you. They hate you. And right now, these institutions cannot be reformed from the inside, period, point blank. They are immune to reform. The only way you are going to make the American military better is by attacking it from the outside. Unrelenting spiritual warfare. Just daily, these people are going to have to understand their failures are going to be rubbed in their face every day. And then if you do that long enough, Americans will stop joining the military and then the right's going to start asking hard questions. And but you, you know, once you have a catastrophic failure, it's possible that you can get accountability. Though I would argue Afghanistan was a catastrophic failure. And there was not accountability at the level there needed to be. So that reckoning, you know, again, that's the spiritual warfare point. Applying pressure to these losers and making them justify themselves to ordinary Americans. And they can't do it. And so, hence, that's why they go after people like me. And I I would guarantee you right now that there are DOD emails from top-level military officers reaching out to Twitter, reaching out to the White House, trying to get me kicked off. I, I, I am... 90% 90% certain those documents are out there because they can't handle the pressure. 
They, and, and they're too stupid to, you know, hide what they actually believe, which would, you know, you, human beings just can't really lie very efficiently. They don't do it very effectively. So the regime just tells you what it is. They'll just tell you who they are. If you just ask them, they'll tell you. They'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm a liberal. You know, I'm a crazy right, you know, left-wing communist who hates America and wants to, you know, cut the genitals off of, you know, kids because it's, you know, trans rights or whatever. That's the average position of the ordinary American general. There is not a single, I don't know. I'd put money on this. You know what? I'll put $500 down for any general with a star, uh, any branch to come out and say, I oppose giving puberty blockers to children and do it while you're in, in uniform. And I'm guarantee you not one of them will do that, but you will have down to the you know lieutenant colonels and colonels on Twitter talking about how much they love gay rights. That's the kind of military you have. And my job, the way I see it, is to make that clear to boomers. These people, LGBTQ+, you are totally good. You start talking about anything vaguely conservative, like I don't want to you know, do genital mutilation on children, you're done. It won't happen. There's no one with the balls to do that. They've just been completely, um, completely uh, caponized. And uh, anyway, I don't mean to rant, but the, you know, it's... No, sound off, man. <laughs> yeah, no, this is just the reality of the modern American military. So people need to get clear on this. And, and, you know, there won't be change until you have people with real spirit putting the pressure on these people. And mostly conservatives are going to want to retreat. And that's, they just think there's a brilliant series of surrenders, retreats, and, uh, and compromises that will result in victory. And they're totally wrong. What you mentioned also dovetails into another point that I, I've uh, found pretty shocking about like the talk of recruitment standards, which have been also significantly degraded. And based on your experience in the Marines, did you witness firsthand how the military reduced its recruitment qualifications and in what ways did it do so? Yeah, I mean, th- there are a couple of ways. And I think the biggest one was you've got women in the military. So there's totally different standards for the females that are just complete bullshit compared to what's required of the men. And, you know, you just see, look, and I knew, you know, there's guys, they would be in a tough event. I've seen some tough guys not pass like a hike. Like, you know, it, it, it happened. I saw infantry officers, you know, and it'd be random stuff. So of course it happens that you're going to have men who are not going to meet the standard on every event, every single time. That's not the point. The point is, systematically, the Marine Corps and every military branch is promoting women and recruiting women at a standard that is dramatically lower than that for males. Like when I when I first joined the Marine Corps, the requirement, the max number of pull-ups that a, a male could do to get a perfect score was 20. But the max number for females was three. And I want to say the like max time for women on the three mile run was like a 21 minutes. And for men, it was 18 minutes, but I'm that actually might even be too low. I don't actually remember specifically. And they've changed some of this now, but the whole point is there's just huge differences between the requirements for both genders, but they get promoted at the same rate and and it open favoritism for women as well. And you would see this unofficially at the lowest levels. I saw battalion commanders, guys in charge of, you know, 500, 700 personnel, openly favoring female officers. They were getting more awards. They were getting uh, special access to commanders. They were commit some to some of them. I saw females who were engaged in inappropriate sexual relationships, inappropriate command relationships, inappropriate 
you know, activity off base, uh, sometimes even criminal activity, and it was just all covered up, all swept under the rug, all all of that was was taken care of. And in fact, the, the the number of female officers that I knew of personally who were engaged in sexual misconduct with enlisted men was obscene. I mean, it was just like it was like every other one, actually more than that, honestly. And these are pretty compelling, you know. I met a Marine, you know, guys a, a, like a sergeant who was like, yeah, you know, the, he got a female artillery officer and, you know, they're sleeping together. And it's like this is completely out of line. And then the other examples, just overwhelming examples of just misbehavior. And, um, you know, so that's one way the standards are just in decline is they're officially in decline. And then unofficially, there's a lot of papering over that's going on of, of you know, malfeasance. And I think a lot of this, you know, is you know, the expectations are different too. You know, we just don't, the, the military doesn't train the way it should or needs to. And, and, and that's, that's not, again, it's just part of that, the overall decline. It's not always on paper, but you can just look at photos of military units. And oftentimes you can just be like, wow, this is, this is not good. Mill Twitter is just a gold mine of, uh, of stupid. And, um, you know, more, more Americans <laughs> should be aware of what's going on there. Yeah, actually it's kind of funny to you mentioned that because um during this whole russo-ukrainian conflict you also have like a lot of like these like so-called like intelligence accounts that are just offering like the worst takes on what's going on in like ukraine and it's like it, it's it's actually pretty shocking the level of decline that you see like in, in institutions and in like the social sphere it's almost like universal in the collective west it, it it's pretty mind-boggling like on any given day you'll see some like nato account promoting like lgbt values and all of that and it's like if you're part of like a like eurasian rival to nato you have like every reason to like treat nato and it's like allies as like an existential threat because I've said this before that LGBT causes and all that stuff that like the West promotes are like ICBMs, like metaphorically, that can like destroy a freaking society. Well, yeah, no, I, I, you know, NATO should not. NATO does not have a reason to exist now. It, it should have been it should have been done post the fall of the Berlin Wall. It's been thirty years on life support. It, you know, there's a quote. I think I think it's from Nietzsche. It's like the, the answer to the question why is lacking. Like, why is there a NATO? Why are we allied with these countries? Why are we giving them money? Like, what do you do for us? And of course, the real answer is that none of the European powers, they're not actual countries. They're American satrapies. I mean, they're, yeah. they're, they're literally just satellite states. They're not even states. They're not independent. They don't actually have their own governments. They, you know, it, it's, it's, that's what people don't get is Germany is not a real country. France is not a real country. The, I mean, my God, Liechtenstein, Moldova, these are not real countries. These are abstraction. These are, these are basic. They, if, if you had a real world order, all of those countries would have, you know, Europe would be a, a unified kind of a, a federalized super state. That's what you would get if there was a real power. And, and, that, you know, this is a deeper point, but the Anglo-American financialized world order cannot let that happen. That's why Ukraine's border is sacred, but the southern border of the United States is not. You got to get that's there's a lot going on here, you know, and it's deeper and it goes back to World War Two and beyond just. 
we obliterated the state system, World War One, World War Two, and the impacts of that has been global chaos. And people don't realize quite how bad things have gotten. It's like it's if only you knew how bad things really were and are going to get that chaos, that crisis of legitimacy that you know you were talking about, Jose. That will be a problem in the next couple of decades. It's going to explode before, and I mean that literally. It will explode, and it will not be pleasant for. I don't think for anyone, but and I don't think a ruling class is going to like this, you know, and they, they've brought it about. So that's a that's a real problem. I want to quote the great Nicolo Soldo, friend of the Bapcast, that he described the so-called leaders of European countries as local branch managers and key regional social media influencers. Those are pretty Ooh. apt descriptions. Ooh, yeah, that's great. That's great. No, it's like that Finnish PM, you know, it's a, a Sana yes. Marin. You know, I, she's like 36, I think. I mean, she's a party girl. I mean, and honestly, it's like, who can blame her? I mean, at least there's some like spirit and life in her. I mean, she's she's actually a woman too. I mean, look at Angela Merkel and compare it to this, you know, this woman. And you think, <laughs> oh, I mean, Merkel, that's death. These childless like degenerate, fat, technocratic nobodies. And, um, but it's a point either way. I mean, it's just like, these aren't serious countries. These aren't, se- I mean, if, if, if the Russians were really this global threat to Europe, blah, 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 NATO needs to intervene, you know, people would not, you know, Finnish PM would not be having dance parties. It's like, what are the Poles raising an army? To, no, no, these people aren't serious. It's all a LARP. You know, it's all LARPing. It's all stupid. It's, it's you know, the idea the Russians are going to roll tanks through Berlin is insane. But also, what would change if they did? I, I literally don't know. It's like, what are, the, you know, what is Putin going to try and flood Europe with, with, you know, the third world? It's like, no. So how is he worse than what you have now? All these countries are occupied. That's something that a lot of people just don't get. It's like Germany's an occupied country. Literally, American boots are on the ground. But then spiritually, economically, financially, industrially, you are an occupied regime. And America is occupied. We are in an, we are an occupied country. Americans in the heartland are, are as irrelevant to global politics as the ordinary German. One way of thinking about this is that the descendants of ethnic Germans in America are as irrelevant to global politics today as the actual Germans in Germany right now. Which is to say, you just don't have any power. You know, the, the neighborhoods in Brooklyn are infinitely more important to global politics than all of Prague, than all of Milan, than all of Rome. Those places are just non-entities because they're all they're all subordinate to to this the Borg, to the transnational international financialized elite and 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 you know that's the global threat that we all have in some way to deal with and um you know they've they've got a stranglehold on the on the reins of power and the question now of how to break that and uh you know there people have provided a model um but it'd be triggering you know to think more about that i think for a lot of people but that's where we have to start is just analyzing the problem now one point that caught my attention in your interview with BAP was how you maintained that the U.S. military in its current form couldn't prosecute a great power conflict against the likes of China and or Russia. How is this the case? Oh, uh, I mean, the, 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 the biggest problem is nuclear weapons at a strategic level. 
And the secondary problem is a lack of industrial capacity. So on the one hand, what I was, I mean, there's two points. I don't know how clearly I made that in that conversation with, uh, with him. I mean, what, what I would say is, you know, n- nuclear weapons, you can't, it's like a carrier group just would get annihilated. What it means is you can't fight a exist. It's like, you can't fight an existential conflict. You can't fight a decisive conflict. Like if China thought that we were going to really whoop them, I mean, really take them apart, then the Chinese regime would use nuclear weapons to defend themselves or threaten to use them, which is the amounts to the same thing. You know, are we going to risk that? Hell no. I mean, it, it's it's just not worth it. And so and the other part of this is that, you know, we have we've just you know completely gutted our industrial heartland and then you've ideologically gutted the military. So it just doesn't have fighting capacity. And a good example of this, I believe the battle for Okinawa, the American military put seven divisions to sea to hit the beaches. I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of human beings. Ships left ports in 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 uh in Washington in October of 1944 in preparation for the invasion of Okinawa in the spring of 1945. Those ships carrying war material to into to for the landing launched before they had even identified the target. I mean, it's, I don't know how to stress this enough, that we could not even get close to that kind of capacity right now, not even in the order of magnitude. I don't think you could put an entire division of Marines afloat today, right now. There isn't the shipping capacity for it. We just don't have the ships. We don't have the equipment to do it. And so, you know, and then it's talking about like war with China and the Pacific is just a LARP. I mean, it's like, you got 20,000 Marines on Okinawa. It doesn't matter. Those guys can't go anywhere. They don't have any ammo. They don't, they're not, what are you going to do? Like to resist China? It's it's all LARPing. It's all just sucking down resources for no purpose. And they've got these high-tech wunder, you know, the Wunderwaffe, these wonder weapons. And it's, it's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. It's like, oh, the F-35, it's invisible. And it's like, no. Nah. The high Mars in Ukraine. <laughs> I was a high Mars guy. I was a high Mars guy. And, and look, that system can do stuff. And I know what it can do, but... The idea it's a miracle weapon or you're going to stop the, you know, I honestly, I don't think it's going to stop the Russians either. And I think, you know, a lot of Ukraine flag and bio libtards are going to be really sad when the Russians prevail. And, you know, NATO being embarrassed is is basically good for the world. But that doesn't make me like pro Putin and just pointing out, like, I want to be neutral in this. Of course, we're not allowed to be because, you know, we're, we have sanctions and we're shipping weapons and all this. But it's, you know, the, the point is pretty clear. It's like, you know, that this is, I don't think the Ukrainians are going to survive this. I don't, I mean, I think they're going to lose those territorial regions and the Russians are basically going to take their lumps and going to keep that territory. And they've been outcasted from the world order. And my guess is they're just going to get stronger and being forced out of the, the, you know, globo homo, financialized world economy will not be as big of a blow as these people imagine it to be. This, you know, you know, you can't just, there's a guy, Scott Shapiro and Una Hathaway, they write at, they're both in, they do law, the Yale law school and they teach on international law and they, they talk about outcasting. It's outcasting, we're going to outcast people from the global order. It's like, that's, that's like, that's some feminine, I'm not talking to you anymore kind of thing. You know what I mean? And it's like, you're going to do that to the Russians? That's a state. It's like, you can exile an individual from a regime. That can be bad, right? Like, but that's a state, a different, you know, thing. And it's like, these people are outcasting will will force them to come to the table because- Mean girls, energy. 
yeah, the free market is so potent. It's like, no, this is all this is all blather and it's all going to come apart because it turns out, you know, you need to have a real economy. You need to actually be able to make stuff. And we we don't really do that, not at the capacity that we would need to, 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 to fight a conventional war. So that's a long answer, and I hope it clarifies for some of your listeners. Nuclear weapons make conventional war between nuclear armed states uh, incapable of coming to a decisive conclusion in, on behalf of either state. What this does in the long run is weaken a state's it weaken a state's purpose because without the ability, without the need to fight wars, it's a question of why it even exists. And then it turns out the state's real purpose is to wage war on its people. You know, the, the purpose of the British government is to uh, replace the British population with anyone else. Literally, I mean, it just means you need to say, you know, the, the, the prime minister in England, his job is to make life worse for the British people to manage that decline over time. That's his whole job. And he hates them. Whoever, she, whatever, doesn't matter. I don't even I mean, I know they just switched. Boris Johnson hates England and hates the English people and wanted to get rid of them. That's the whole point. Joe Biden hates the American people, would love to replace them, would love them to die if he could get them to do so. And he, But before, first, he wants to shake them down. That's the whole point. Germany, same thing. Macron and France, it's, all of these people despise. They hate them. They hate the people they rule. They hate them. They want them to die. That's the point. The modern state is a death factory, and it's they, it wants you gone. And it, but first, it wants to make you a slave. That's the whole plan. The whole plan. It's emasculating. Yeah, it's a, a huge problem. Modern state is a huge problem, and uh, you know it's all connected to this decline, the, the lack of purpose plus decline plus spiritual corrosion, and um, we're living in the midst of it. Oh yeah. For sure. Yeah, we're yeah, we're definitely going through one of like the more radical transformations through especially when you look at like the insane waves of mass migration coupled with the way that the managerial state is trying to fundamentally alter like sexual relations and all this. Like to me, this looks this has like the recipe for civilizational disappearance, and you'll see ccp historians talking about this like in 100 to 200 years about the long lost tribes of like the west yeah i mean it's you know in the future of the west i mean this stuff is hard to predict i mean the other thing is they could just have really over miscalculated that's another thing it looks really bad right now and it's going to get worse for ordinary people and that will but that will have a toughening effect on a lot of people the boomers, they're not going to live to see it. I mean, you know, as you get older, you just don't want to change anything. It's, everyone's like, if only I can make it, if only my 401k pays out. It's like a game of musical chairs, and you don't want to be the guy holding the bag. And that's the whole, that's the goal of the of the older post-war generation. They're just trying to be, they're trying to get their gibbs before it all comes apart. Because... Once that happened, you know, mass migration, you know, it's like, oh, this boosts your economy. It's like that. It's a short term. It's like doing drugs. You get a short term high, but there's a long term cost. And the long term cost is how do you have a country when you don't speak the same language? You don't have the same tradition. You don't, you know, and it's like, what do you mean? We're all going to get along. We're all going to be on the same team. We're all going to have the same coherent national purpose. We're going to have the same religion. So, no, you can't do that. That's all racist. So, you know, it's again, it's just, again, it's all going to, it's going to be, 
And I think a lot of Americans are, are starting to see more and more clearly every day. It's like this government hates you and it wants you gone. And, you know, you see major politicians talking about stuff like the Great Replacement and the Great Reset. And it's obvious to a minority, at least, what's going on here. And that could, you know, Trump was a was a shot across the bow for the elite. Like, this guy just came out of nowhere. And suddenly he's got massive popular support. And, you know, he does not necessarily want to play ball. With the whole the whole system, but Trump is a is an outright moderate, even a liberal compared to what could come next. The the crime out of control. It's like oh, it's like these it's like it's like these Democrats. It's like well, Latinos will always vote Democrat. It's like well, what if social chaos causes them to want machismo? What if they want you know un caldillo? You know that's different, right? That's different, and you're not they're not expecting that because they're morons. They're stupid. You know, some of the most white supremacist regimes in the world, de facto, are in Latin America. It's like, you gotta, these people are dumb. I mean, they are so stupid. Our leadership class, so stupid. They just don't know how anything works. And so, you know, but they have money and power and just drowning in resources. And then, but that leads to hubris and and, and decline, you know, just, you can... You can see it pretty clearly. Anyway, that's the that's the crisis I think that we're we're facing going forward. Now, going back to the military, one point that also struck me was how you argued on BAP's show that people should not join the military. Why do you believe that? Yeah, no, this is probably this is this is this is a key thing, and I think I'm going to write this up um, in a piece, whether I put it on my Substack or I, I um, maybe for Man's World. Basically, my point is infiltration is impossible. These institutions are designed not to be infiltrated by the right. They could be infiltrated by the left, but once the left got in power, they did everything in their power to, to pull up the ladder behind them. And it just doesn't work that way. So my point is, you know, most people don't have the temperament to believe one thing in their hearts and then do something else in their daily life. They just can't do it. I can't do it. And I, I think this is kind of like a... It's a, it's just, it's kind of in you. It's in your blood. It just, you know, America or old stock Americans, you know, it's like I'm descended from a long line of like English, Scots, Irish, and Germans. Like those are not people who do like mafia gang warfare. You know what I mean? Like that's just not, they're not spies. I mean, there's no, it's like, I, I just am not, I'm not good at any of that. And I think a lot of people, a lot of Americans are like that. Now, different cultural context, you get a different result. But in the America of now, I just think that you just, that's not, you just can't help being competent. That's the other part. You know, when I was in my job, I couldn't help doing my job. I couldn't help improving the kinds of tactics and procedures that could ultimately be used against me. Right. Because you're just like, well, I'm getting paid. I feel obligation. I feel a duty. I need to do my job. I need to do this. And so the result then is you've got, you know, these guys joining the military. And it's like, well, I'm going to be, I'm going I'm to change things from the inside. And then you get, you're the one who gets infiltrated, right? Your soul gets infiltrated by the institution. It's very common. And I just don't think there's a lot of guys on the right or anywhere who have that capacity. And so, you know, it shouldn't be done. You're, you're not going to sit there for 30 years and then become a general and then just suddenly be like, oh, I'm going to change everything. No, that's not how that works. And by the way, the whole way, the way the Borg works is no one actually has any real power. 
it's it's distributed and it's unclear and it's amorphous. There's a great book by C.S. Lewis called uh, That Hit His Strength. And it's about a bureaucracy that is actually being run by, you know, demons. But no one knows. It's like it's all unclear who's in charge. And it's unclear even to the highest level people who's in charge. And that's exactly the way bureaucracy works in our time. It's it's designed that way. And, you know, you can't, you know, you will never be in a position of leadership in those institutions. You can't actually do anything. And so I think it's better for young men not to even try. It's like you just need to stay away from something that's going to poison you. There's a great, you know, BAP in a recent article was um, citing the passage, the coldest of all cold monsters in the new idol. And thus spoke Zarathustra. And he quoted the beginning of that passage. And he also quoted on war and warriors. But the the in the latter part of the new idol, there's this line where uh, you know Zarathustra cautions you know the, those with rich hearts don't squander yourselves for the state. It's, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Don't squander yourself. And and the impulse of the rich-hearted young man is to squander himself, sacrifice, higher purpose, and and the military acts like it can provide that. So. And the warning is I'm saying, look, you don't don't do that for the modern state. And, 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 and honestly, the chances that you're the kind of guy who can, you know, infiltrate an institution and make it based, that's, you're probably not just being honest. You know, it's like it's like saying it's like people saying we're going to infiltrate the FBI or the military. That's like saying <laughs> that's like saying we're going to infiltrate. It's like we're going to infiltrate the KGB. Like we're going to make the Kremlin based. Like we're going to make the Red Army right wing. Like it's it's like saying we're going to we're going to make Pravda like saying you're going to make the New York Times not gay is like saying you're going to make Pravda like fascist. It's not going to happen. That's that's not how that works. These institutions aren't built that way. But, you know, and and this gets into that argument. So I'm not telling, you know, young men, well, you know, just be a plumber, hide out in your basement, like get a farm and, and marry your trad wife and then disappear. I'm just saying you you have to attack from where the regime is weak. And it is weak uh, when it comes to its le- public legitimacy. It is vulnerable to social media trolling. It is vulnerable. And, and I mean this literally. It's vulnerable to being mocked. It's it's that is so much more effective and exerting power at the local level. It does struggle to do that. And, you know, so there there are ways out of the system or into the fringes of the system. And and again, that's that's I think where you're going to see real change is at the fringes. And it's launching raids from the out you know, from the fringe into the central core and degrading its capacity to govern the fringes. I think that's kind of where the right is. It needs to think in terms of insurgency and not so much in terms of, of infiltration. I just don't, I don't see how that's going to work. I don't, and the, the, the difference of course would be if there was a great leader, you know, someone who could around himself, take the American right, give it purpose, give it uh, rhetorical prowess and, and like Trump, but even even more decisive, even more focused, even more popular, even more well loved. And you know, Trump is a real model. But I think you know, if if you had something like that, you know, then you could talk about real change. But you know, my, my whole thought is the right will need to go in and clean house. And if I were advising President Trump, I would say that if you when you get back into office in 2025, you need to. Just start firing people. You need to dismantle these institutions, not reform them. 
the FBI. Just fire everybody. Just fire every single person there. You don't even need to go to Congress. Just fire them all. There are no patriots in the FBI. There are no good apples in the organization. Every single one of them is a hardcore leftist. I don't care what they think in private. In public, they do the work of Satan. Boom. There it is. Don't mince words and don't get it confused. These institutions work for evil. That's all they know how to do. They, they hate ordinary Americans. I, I don't know. I cannot. How has the FBI made our lives any better? How have they stopped crime? Is America safer now? No, 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 no. It's not. Things are worse. And, and that's because it's corrupt. And, and you can't, you have to excise the cancer. You have to just get rid of it. There is no... I'm going to make peace with the cancer. No, 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 no. You just got to fight it. And that's, that's where we are as a, on the American right, as conservatives, as a, as a moderate centrist myself, that's where we are. Um, we, you know, we have to, we have to just be honest with ourselves. Now, if people want to pick up martial skills, what avenues should they pursue instead of joining the military? Uh, literally just go to a gun club. If you want martial, like if you want to shoot a gun, don't join the military. We hardly ever shot. I mean, this is, I was an artilleryman, so I wasn't an infantryman by training. So, okay, there's reason, it's reasonable to think I'm not going to shoot that often. But mostly I would shoot maybe once or twice a year officially. And that was in very controlled environments, basically for, and with very little ammunition. Like, you know, we'd shoot like a hundred rounds on a machine gun every other year and as an officer even less and once you're a captain above it basically descends to zero and the and the reason for that is you know we just that's not where the budget goes in the at least in the marine corps and i know that's the same in the army and elsewhere you're just not doing that much shooting you're not doing that much martial stuff you're you're fixing equipment you're getting briefings about how you know you should be nicer to women and gays and and whatever flavor of the week minority you need to feel bad about that's the kind of thing you're gonna spend time on uh, you know, briefing about how to get promoted. That's very important. You'll spend a lot of time on that in a healthy unit, right? One, one that's, and I'm, I'm being sarcastic here, you know, it's, it's all degraded. So, you know, I guess my point is, you know, martial skill in, in, in basically every state in America, except for probably like California, New York, you can just go and buy an AR-15 and just go out to a range and, and shoot. And you can basically shoot with rifles, even in those kind of liberal states. And, um, you know, that's a way to, you know, if you can, if you can hit a target at a hundred or 200 yards and, you know, you're in decent, reasonably decent shape and, you know, you can keep your wits about you in a stressful situation, you have a pretty solid foundation for, for, you know, martial skill. You know, a lot of places have martial arts training. I think just being in shape, lifting weights, you know, being, you know, cardiovascularly fit, that's, that's going to serve you really well if you're ever in a position where you're going to need those skills. You know, and I think just, yeah, America has the benefit of still still having that that older virtue. You know, you can own weapons, you know, you can own a lot of them and you can train with them in most places. You know, it's NRA has some great uh, not the NRA. There are. Um, well, I think they might run shooting events, but there's I've met people who do shooting and they do it at a high level. And even just a, a fraction of that can be very, uh, be very effective. The biggest thing, you know, for martial virtue though, is friendship, you know, is having people that you trust who, you know, I mean, if that's, if it comes down to it, you need people who have your back and, and have some spirit and fight in them. 
Yeah, I mean, just just groups of men who are friends and have serious purpose about them, real friendship. You know, not just watching sports ball together in the man cave. That that is gahey. What what what's you know, but you know, hiking together, talking politics, um, reading. You know, there's a lot of I've seen guys doing book clubs, and it's a it's an avenue for serious serious thought. You know, just reading. Doing something real and serious, and that's that's not that hard, and yet it could have a, a meaningful impact in a time of crisis, which I think we could very much you know come into. So that that's what I would encourage, like the martial training. That's that's the avenue I would pursue. Now, uh, just to like end this off, um, things have gotten really heated, especially like in light of the FBI's raid of former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence. And this has a lot of people speculating about America's future. Some believe that it could be on the path towards like balkanization, national breakup, or even civil war. Where do you see things going in the U.S. in the next few decades? Um, my, what I'm, okay. One of the things that I've said before is everything that we do abroad, we do at home and, and our, all our chickens abroad come home to roost. So, you know, after the invasion of Iraq, there was a lot of sectarian violence, like these, these religious and cultural and ethnic differences that had been, been, you know, suppressed by Saddam Hussein and the secular strongman leadership suddenly came to the fore in really violent, ugly, and brutal ways. And a lot of Americans still don't track on that. I mean, it got to the point that like Sunni and Shia areas in Baghdad had to be separated by the giant concrete barricades designed to absorb an IED blast. That was where they got in that very rapid descent into crisis, internal strife. But Iraq on a map is still there. It just went through a period of, of extreme violence and poverty and, and, you know, kind of ate itself alive in some ways. And it just is might be decades before it ever gets back to the pre-war, you know, economic prosperity. I mean, in, 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 or cultural, you know, hegemony as well. So I think you could see something like that. You could just see things get worse, but at a higher gradient, like you could see an increase in Violence. I mean, right now what's lacking is right-wing violence on any coordinated scale. I mean, sorry, sorry, Libs, January 6th was boomers wandering around the Capitol. That's not... It's the beer belly putsch. Yeah, it's like it's the beer belly brigade gets out there to, to, to protest on behalf of Trump. And, and don't get me wrong, I think, that's, I think that's great. I mean, I think they should have been angry. I mean, then you could see that, and that whole thing, you know, the, the police antagonized them, throwing the flashbangs into the crowd, and he got mad. And you probably had Fed agitators. And, you know, honestly, I think the people, people should be able to protest in the people's house. They should have been able to protest then. They should, you know, do so in an orderly way, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, looking at the, the uh, the riots of the summer of 2020. I mean, I think that shows left wing violence is totally state sanctioned and allowed. So, I think you could, we're going to see more of that kind of stuff. You'll see more chaos. You'll see a breakdown in in social services and in you know infrastructure services. People losing knowledge about how to do things. You're just going to see that the class of people, the young white men just abandoning these institutions and being kicked out of them. Like you're not welcome here, but then you're going to have problems. You just, you need that group. You need that group to want to serve the regime and keep it afloat. 
you know, you're just eventually going to, I think you'll see that San Francisco situation, massive homeless encampments, massive spike in violence, this ineffectual leadership class, totally outgunned people like imagine a London breed as mayor of every American city. I think that's where we're headed. Now, what comes after that, I think is, is more, that's, I mean, I think you could see a backlash, a very powerful one, but things may need to get worse first. You know, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the worst possible outcome is something like the Soviet Union, where the government brutalizes the people and they just take it. And you just slavishly just like, well, I guess we're just going to be slaves for another century. And the best case scenario is that Trump performs miracles in his second term in office and you know, somehow liberals, you know, are no longer in power in our institutions. I, I, I think that'd be highly unlikely, but you know, it's probably worth it to try because the alternative is going to be, is not good. It's just, it's, it's, you know, compounding chaos and then crisis. And then, you know, God only knows. And, and I think that's, that's why the right needs to prepare, but also, well, I don't want to live under this kind of tyrannical, feminized, brutal, you know, psychopath regime. So, you know, we got to have a change, but it'll probably, you know, probably it's going to be a fight, but I think there's hope. There's reasons for hope. I don't want to end on a, on, on a bad note. I want to say these people are stupid. You know, that's the thing you have to remember. These people are morons and that will not help them. So for, you know, there's a plenty of opportunity to make a difference, especially at a local level, but it's going to take force of will and just, putting strength with strength against these these people and twisting their arm to make them do the right thing and to try and carve out you know places in which the we can have a you know real country or real real functioning community and if that won't work then there are even other alternatives to just continue to then making sure that the people that are close to you make it through the time of crisis and there's plenty of ways of doing that and it may come to the point of saying you know, your weapon, you know, ter- you using the, using the regime, you know, helping friends and harming enemies. That's where we are right now. And I know that makes a lot of people sad, but you know, politics, that's part of justice is helping your friends and harming your enemies. And we're in that position and they've made it clear. They've made it explosive. They've made it. You know, if you, if you're not a liberal, you are an enemy and we hate you and we will do whatever we, we will do everything to you. We will firebomb your, if they, if there were a second civil war, I guarantee you the left would absolutely firebomb American civilians without a second thought. If, if liberals could, were fighting the civil war, like the, the, and they, and like, if you had something like the Confederacy, they would just nuke all of those people and they wouldn't bat an eyelash at incinerating millions. Now, the difference is between the Stalinists and the modern liberals is the Stalinists had force of will. I mean, they executed the czar and his family in cold blood. They had that kind of willfulness. Now these liberals are fat. I mean, dumb. And, you know, it's like bi gender, queer, transgender, you know, BIPOC in, in, you know, I have mental health issues and I'm a communist, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, these are, these people are going to pick up, you know, guns and, and slaughter their enemies. I don't think so. But, you know, the, the problem is if they can weaponize boobery from, you know, I love my country back to blue. Also, that means I need to shoot Trump supporters as part of, 
you know, decency and civility. And that's the problem you're going to have. So that's why I encourage young men, stay away from institutions that'll manipulate you in that way. All right, let's put a bookmark in this bad boy. Josiah, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, feel free to plug your content. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, uh, if people want to follow me on Substack, it's like lippincott.substack.com. Uh, and then I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on Telegram. And uh, I'm also right for American Greatness. I usually write every other week. Uh, I have a piece coming out there, more or less. And um, I encourage people to go read them there. And then share it. You know, it's it's tough being censored. Your audience is dramatically smaller, but you know, it, it's typically made up of people who really are interested in care, and that's uh, that's not nothing. So I encourage people to follow me there and to uh, and to read my my work if they if they so choose. As always, to my wonderful audience, thank you for tuning in. And with that, El Nino has spoken. <laughs>